Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast. At Scotts Hill, our mission is to join God in His work of transforming lives. One of the ways we join God is by studying and proclaiming His Word. So each week, our podcast features our Sunday morning sermons where one of our pastors explains, illustrates, and applies the Bible to our lives. We hope that you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of the Lord. Well, good morning and welcome to Scottsdale Baptist Church. My name is Jeff Poteet and I get to serve on staff here as one of our pastors. If you're watching us online, we're so grateful for you tuning in with us each and every week. And if you're watching us in the Cross Point Center, man, I am so glad that you are joining with us. I miss you guys. I look forward to seeing you again next week because each and every week I have the privilege to serve in the Cross Point Center as the pastor that gets to oversee that venue on Sunday mornings. And so we would love if you have opportunity to come join us over there. It's a great time of celebration and worship together. As we gather in the Cross Point Center here in the Worship Center at both hours, we'd love for you to join with us over there uh, one time and be able to encourage us and be able for us to be able to encourage you together. Now, I know that it is Christmas time, and inevitably, the conversation about gifts is probably happening in your family right now. Now, if it's not, you guys might have missed the bus this year, okay? And you probably need to start preparing for next year now so that you're ready whenever this time of the year comes along. But inevitably, those conversations are happening. And rarely, whenever we have children or whenever we're thinking about gifts, are those gifts presented to us and as, uh, as by way of demand. For instance, most of the time, our children don't come to us and say, you will buy me an iPhone 15 titanium this year. Typically, they come to us in a, in a note of disappointment twinged with hopefulness. You know how that goes, right? You know, Dad, I know that this would be really expensive, and, and I know that it's unlikely that you'll be able to buy this for me this year, but if it is at all possible, would you consider buying for me an iPhone 15 titanium and adding me to your plan? Or... It might sound something like this. I know that it would add challenges to our family and there'll be complications that go along with this. And I know it, it would be an issue for us, but if, it, if you just find it in your heart to buy me a new kitten for Christmas, that would be so great for me. Now, oftentimes those are gifts, especially those big gifts, function in the realm of improbabilities, don't they? Like, it's probably not going to happen, but it's not impossible that it will happen. But there are things in our lives that are actually impossible. If you are a movie fan, you know that it is impossible for Hallmark to create a storyline that is different than any other Hallmark movie out there. (laughs) You also know that it is impossible for the bad guys to ever beat the kids at Christmas. Shout out to my Home Alone fans in the room. If you're a sports fan, guys, I thought last week that we really had a shot for the impossible. I thought there was going to be one year out of however long the college football playoff has been in in swing that there would not be a chance for an SEC team to win the championship. But as you know, the college football playoff committee ruined that for me. But it it did remind me of another impossibility when it comes to sports, and that is keeping politics out of them. And you know that at every level, if you've played at any level. Ooh, I heard some ooze on that one. You also know if you're a fan of stupid human tricks that there are some impossibilities out there. I found that one is that it is humanly impossible 
for you to lick the end of your elbow. Now, before you try it, and please don't right now, before you try it, I know you're thinking in your mind, number one, who was the first person that tried that? And second, they don't know me very well because you're gonna think about it all the way from here to the parking lot, and I just can't wait to see our cameras on Monday morning to see how many of you go out to your cars and give it a shot uh, as you leave from this place today. Now, we are in uh, the, the beginning parts of our series that Pastor Phil started last week called The King is Coming. And as we started that series, as we started this series, we started with the storyline of the Bible. And as you remember last week, Pastor Phil talked about creation and the fall. And whenever we get to those points, we see how God has communicated to Adam and Eve and how God is going to bring about this seed that's gonna crush the head of the serpent. And whenever we come to the story that we're gonna look at in just a little bit, in Abraham, it looks like there's a very short period of time between the fall and the Abrahamic covenant. In our Bibles, it's only a few chapters, but in reality, there are centuries that it spans from the time when Adam, uh, whenever God gives the curses and the promise to Adam and Eve to the time whenever the story that we're going to look at today takes place. And the question uh, that we see over and over as sin and death continue to reign is the question, when is this seed going to come? When is this seed that's going to crush the head of the serpent going to materialize? Who is this guy that's going to come and who's gonna be the fulfillment of this promise? And as we are gonna turn our attention in just a few moments to uh, Genesis chapter 11, we're gonna be introduced to a family who is from the line of Adam and Eve who come and we're gonna see their story beginning to take place. And in the midst of this story, we're gonna see how God's promise of a king is going to continue to come even in the midst of what we would consider impossible circumstances. So what I wanna encourage you to do is to pray with me and then I wanna encourage you to open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 11 here in just a few moments as we begin to study God's word together. Would you pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to open your word. We pray that as we study it together, you would, you would by your Holy Spirit, transform our hearts and our minds so that we can think more like Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you would open with me to Genesis chapter 11, uh, either in your hard copies of your Bible on our, uh, on our church center app or on your devices, I'd love for you to meet me there as we begin our time together. We're gonna start in Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, and this is what we recorded from Moses. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot, Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. At first reading, it looks like the story is just gonna be over before it ever begins. It looks like this promise of a king is never going to be realized because of this problem of Sarai's barrenness. But the story is going to get worse for us. Notice what Moses continues to write in Genesis chapter 12. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I'll make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It just seems a little bit wrong to me. It's like one of those prank TV shows, whenever you're reading it for the first time. You know the this, this show whenever somebody is getting pranked and their whole family's in on it. They're gonna give them that lottery ticket. You know that lottery ticket for everybody that's watching them has absolutely no value. But everybody is watching them and they don't know that this is a joke. They don't know this is a prank so they scratch off that ticket. And you see the excitement and the, the, the celebration because they think that they just won a million dollars. All the while, everybody's watching them knowing that their, their excitement, their joy is about to come to a crashing halt when they figure out that all the hopes that they had for this million dollars was just a joke. So we look at this passage and we say, is, is God just a cosmic jokester? Does, does God just playing this joke and everybody's watching what's going on with Abram and they're, they're, they're just waiting for this collapse, this downfall? Or is it possible that there's more to this situation that meets their natural eye? Because Abraham, because Abram at this time, he is, he is all in. He says, okay, God said this. I'm 75 years old. We're gonna launch out and we're gonna go to this promised land. We're gonna take this promise and as long as everything goes as planned, we're gonna have a child in the near future. This is how we often go. We start off great. We have a, the promises of God. We have the plan that he's laid out for us, and we are, we are all in. We're going forward in faith until the, thought, the, the, the things that we thought were going to happen don't happen. Until the, the things that we hoped were going to be accomplished don't seem to be coming to fruition. And just like Abram, we start to get antsy in our lives. We start to wonder, what's the next thing? What's, what's going to happen? What do I need to do to help God along in his plan? How can I bring in my own solutions to help God accomplish what he's already promised? We notice this is what Abram begins to do as Abram presents to God a simple solution. This is what we oftentimes do. We start with simple solutions in our lives and then they end up progressing. Notice what what we see in Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. Now Abram at this time is about 80 years old. So about five years has passed since the promise was made. And he proposes a simple solution to fulfill the promise that God made. After all, the clock is ticking. He's waiting for this promise. He's not getting any younger. Sarai's not getting any younger. How are we going to how are we gonna accomplish this? We have our estate to think about. We have all these things that we have to make sure are taken care of. Is there a solution? His, his solution is Eleazar, which in this culture would be a natural consideration. You see, in this culture, if Abram were to die childless, a servant of his house would become his heir, would become the one that would take on all of his assets and become the one that was going to be the heir of his property. Abram's saying, you know, maybe, maybe God meant to say that an heir was going to come from me in some way, but not really come from me. Maybe, 
Maybe I just misunderstood what God was trying to communicate. And just like every other family that's in this situation, in this area, we're gonna settle for the status quo. We're just gonna take what God has given us and rather continue than to open myself up for what seems to be impossible. But friends, I want us to wrap our minds around a, a bottom line for this message today, and it's this, that God does his greatest work on the platform of our impossibilities. We see this over and over in this passage, beginning here with Abram. Notice what God says to Abram's simple solution. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And we've seen this passage over and over in in Romans, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. God says, no, Abram, I'm not calling you to the status quo. I'm not calling you to the simple. I've promised you a son, and literally that means it's gonna come from your bowels. It's gonna come from inside of you. It is your very own son. And Abram believed God. He discarded his simple solution in favor of pursuing what God had promised him. He trusted God when he could not see the product of his promise. God is reminding Abram, Abram, a king is coming, and he's coming from you. But Abram's planning, as we know in our own lives, doesn't stop there. Okay, God, I hear you. I believe you. I trust you. I know that this is what you're going to do, but our planning doesn't tend to stop. Time keeps on going, and still no son for Abram. Still no heir. So Abram and Sarai's plan progresses to a sinful solution. It progresses to a sinful solution. Notice how chapter 16 begins. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. Whenever you read this, you're like, oh no. She's not gonna do what I think she's gonna do, is she? And then you read on. And Sarai said to Abram, behold now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And you say, yep, she did it. And what's worse is he listened to her. Now, after 10 years, guys, the promise has been given to Abram. And if you're doing your math, that means that Sarai was 65 when they left. She's 75 now. And so somewhere, we think about it, maybe somewhere in the mindset of ancient Near Eastern, or something drastically happens between 65 and 75 that reduces the, the possibility of bearing children. Now, in our day, that would be way outside the realm of possibility. But for them, somehow it was there but it's becoming more and more impossible in their mind. She turned to what the culture around her allowed for, providing a slave for the purpose of bearing a child to a barren woman. But rather than Abram saying, no, Sarai, you know God's plan for marriage. You know God's plan. You know God's promise to us. The text says that he listened to his wife so eerily similar to what 
we heard God say to Adam in the garden, because you listened to the voice of your wife. Now, for some of you guys, you're just tuning back in because you, you've been thinking about the whole elbow licking situation and you're just like, he just said, I don't have to listen to my wife. That's not what I said and please, please don't try to use that in some weak argument to try not to listen to your wife. No, he's not saying that. What he's reminding us of is that if there is anyone in your life that is directing you away from the word of God, whether it's your wife, whether it's your husband, whether it's your children, whether it's your coworker or your neighbor or the culture who's trying to direct you to forsake God's word for some other path, he's saying, don't listen to them. Reject that counsel. Now you might be thinking, if it's just normal in that day, why do we say that it would be sinful? How would we ever be able to determine that? Well, just consider for a moment that they are now advanced in years and we don't know exactly how long they've been married, but for the whole time that we've known Abram and Sarai, this has not been on the table. They have progressed in their relationship in a one flesh covenant union from the time that we've met them until today. But not only that, and this is where studying God's word is so, so, so important for us because scripture always interprets scripture. We see in latter parts of God's word that God gives us a commentary on what happens here in Genesis chapter 16. Notice what the apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter four. It says, for it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the one of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. See, they were willing to step over the line to achieve something by their own self-effort or according to the flesh, rather than patiently wait for something that God had already promised them. They were willing to take matters into their own hands. And oftentimes we see this in our own lives, that we begin to pursue something that on the face of it isn't bad. It wasn't wrong for Abram and Sarai to desire a child. But when that thing, whatever it is, becomes so important for us, becomes so dominant for us, say, dare I say, consumes us, that we would do anything to achieve it. We see this in our own lives. What do we do whenever we've pleaded with the Lord for something to come about, and it just isn't happening? Maybe it's in our marriage. You know that God wants your relationship to be joyful, peaceful, filled with, with love, and you just don't feel like that's happening. You know that's God's desire, but you don't see it. You've prayed about it. You've asked God for help. Begin to think, well, maybe it's just my spouse. Maybe they're the problem. And rather than continuing on in God's pattern, you begin to look around at the culture and what the culture says, what your friends may be saying, who are saying, you know what, it's really not that big of a deal. You take that step towards looking for another partner who you, bring, who you think can bring you what you want. Maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's your finances. Things aren't where you wanted them to be. You take matters into your own hands. You look around at the cultural norms and you say it's not going so badly for people that are, that are changing the numbers just a little bit. Maybe lying to obtain an account and you say it must not be that big of a deal. So you take that step over the line of pursuing something according to the flesh in order to get that account. Oftentimes we don't think about the consequences that are gonna come for the choices that we make whenever we don't trust the Lord. We don't trust his plan, we don't trust his wisdom. 
because we think the consequences of not having what we want are worse than trusting God for what he's given us. See, Sarai and Abram believed that devising their own plan would ultimately lead to the thing that they wanted, would ultimately lead to freedom, but it only led to slavery. Living by the flesh always leads to bondage and never to freedom. We see this over and over through the pages of Scripture. Pursuing life according to the flesh never brings the peace that we thought it would. We see this immediately in Abraham and, in Abram and Sarah's life, but we can see it today on the world stage as cultures in the Middle East continue to fight because of what happened in Genesis chapter 16. The consequences for our choices are oftentimes longer lasting than we ever expected or considered that they would be. We see this happening in Abram's life. Here Abram, now 86 years old, when Ishmael was born. By all accounts, we know as we're about to read that he thought this was over. He thought this was going to be God's plan. You can imagine him kind of sitting back. We did it. Look what we did, God. We helped you out. We helped you do what you said you were going to do. But 15 years later, God comes calling again. He comes to talk to Abram again. This time he changes Abram's name to Abraham. He changes Sarai's name from Sarai, which is my princess, to Sarah, which is princess of nations. And he says this to Abraham. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Valid question. Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Again, valid question question, but God is reminding Abraham of this bottom line, that God says, go to the next one, God does his greatest work on the platform of our impossibilities. He reminds us over and over that this is the case. It's from this point that we begin to see God's dealing with Sarah, his wife. While to this point, He's spoken to Abraham, and only Abraham. Abraham's offered a simple solution. Abraham and Sarai have pursued a sinful solution. We'll see that Sarah becomes settled in a sarcastic solution. She becomes settled in a sarcastic solution. Notice what we read in Genesis chapter 18. They said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And Abram says, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women <clears throat> had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I am worn out 
and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure. Up to this point, we know that Abram has been the the one who's received the message, and we don't know how much he shared with his wife. We can only imagine that somewhere along the way, Abram told Sarah, hey, this is the plan, dear. You're gonna have a child. We're gonna have a child. But here, we see that God speaks where Sarah can hear. She's in the tent. God knows where she is. And he speaks because he wants to get her attention at this time. He wants to draw her attention to himself and establish in her the promise and establish in her faith. But rather than celebration, we see sarcasm. Sarah laughed at God. She laughed at God. And you know that there are different kinds of laughs that we have, don't you? There are some laughs that are joyful celebration, laughing at at an exciting thing kind of laugh. And then there are the laughs that are scoffing with despair. (laughs) Yeah, right, God. I'm sure that you could do that. I'm sure that you can do what you said, and it wouldn't be hard for us to understand if that was her perspective. Now, 25 years after the promise was given, a promise that even for the last 14 or 15 years, she has been confronted every single day with Hagar and Ishmael, seeing on the stage of her life that she wasn't the one. As we see in this passage, they are old. They're advanced in years. We know that they're 100 and she is 90. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, which means that she was past menopause. After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The reality is their relationship had gotten to the point where they weren't even sexually active anymore. So how in the world is this going to happen? You can just imagine the internal dialogue, too many days, God. Too many prayers, God. Too many cycles, God. Too many attempts, God. Too many counseling sessions, God. It's just too impossible, God. And just when all hope seems lost, whenever it seems that the inevitable is what she has come to terms with, even when it seems that she has given up hope at all, we're reminded that God does his greatest work on the platform of our impossibilities. And God provides Sarah, a supernatural solution, a supernatural solution. It's communicated as soon as Sarah laughs. Notice what God says. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? And say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? And I want you to notice something before we move on any farther in this passage, and I believe it's so important for us You remember that Sarah was in the tent. She laughed to herself. I want us to be reminded that wherever we are, God always hears our silent laughters. He always hears our silent laughters. He's heard you say to yourself, there's no way that God could save me. There's no way that God could save me. He's heard you say, there's no way that God could strengthen me for this trial. He's heard you say, There's definitely no hope for this marriage. He's heard you say, there's no way that I could ever be used in any measurable way 
to influence others for Christ, to which God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now we could read this in two ways. One is a harsh, condescending way where God is sarcastic back, but we know that's not the truth. We could also hear it in a gentle, inviting way. A way that can be translated for us from this very word. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Sarah, you believe that what I promised you is too good to be true. God invites Sarah to trust him again, to trust him again for the impossible. And notice what we see as the story continues. At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it saying, I did not laugh for she was afraid. He said, no, but you did. You didn't trust me in that moment, Sarah. You see, the impossible things that we seek are often the tangible things that we want, not the invisible things God wants to do in us. We want the product. God wants to change who we are. You see, God never gives us a gift without changing us first. In fact, God planned on giving Sarah something greater than a baby. We see as the story progresses between chapters 18 and chapter 21 that there are two things that God gives Sarah. First, God gives her the gift of his faithfulness. Notice what happens in chapter 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. God showed himself to be faithful like he always does. And Sarah got to see that firsthand. But not only does she get to see his faithfulness, we also get to see Sarah's faith. We see this in another passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now this passage always was a little bit of a conundrum for me because I looked at the passage and I didn't see faith. Whenever you read the story in Genesis, I don't see faith. But what had to happen between chapter 18 and chapter 21, Abraham and Sarah had to do something they hadn't done in some time. They had to believe that God could accomplish something that they thought was physically and emotionally impossible for them. They had to take a true step of faith whenever the situation seemed impossible. She believed even though she was old, even though she was phys- it was physically impossible, even though the relationship was cold, that nothing was too wonderful for the Lord. She had to trust that, and she had to take a step of faith. We see the story continue. Abram called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? 
Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. You see, the greatest point of pain in Sarah's life became a perpetual reminder of God's grace. Isaac means he laughs. Those who are laughing like Sarah was, a laugh of hopelessness, are so much closer to a laughter of grace than they ever could imagine. More so than people who think they don't need God's grace. You see, Sarah's sarcastic laughter of despair is turned into a soaring laughter of delight. Why is this the case? It's because God does his greatest work on the platform of our impossibilities. So friends, the question for us as we're looking at this passage is this. Do you live in amazement at God's work in your life? Do you live in utter astonishment of God's grace to you? Because the truth is, for any of us who are a believer, for any of us who know that we are Christians, we know that we are the last people on earth who should be. We stand in awe of God's grace. So the question is, this Christmas is the news of a king who has come for you truly good news for you? Or is it just news? Is it good news or is it just news? Do you stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene, as the old song says, and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean? Or do you stand unfazed by his matchless and marvelous grace? Because quite frankly, I cannot imagine a time in Sarah's life from that point forward when she said Isaac, that she didn't laugh to herself about God's grace. Whenever she called him in for dinner, laughing, God, you are so amazing. Whenever she tucked him into bed at night, remembering that God had poured his grace out upon her in the midst of her age, in the midst of the impossibilities of her life. Can you imagine the laughter in the community as people told the story about Abram and Sarah and Isaac, and as they saw him walk down the street saying, can you believe what God did for them? Can you believe how God changed them? I'm in awe, in awe at God's work. But the great news is this, that God's story doesn't end with Sarah. Oftentimes, and the reality is that God's story never ends with us. God did a great work for Sarah, but it wasn't about Sarah. It was about God's plan to bring the true king. It was about God's promise to bring to fulfillment what he had promised to Eve. The promise of blessing, the promise of, Sarah, of wonder is given to Sarah. And through Sarah, God's promises ultimately find their fulfillment in Christ, the true king. Centuries later, when the world lay in deep darkness, whenever it seemed like all was lost and it was a hopeless situation, the light of the world, the true seed of Abraham would be born in the midst of more impossible circumstances. See, the king has come. Therefore, that truth or that thought that we have in our minds that says that could never happen becomes, because of the king, God can certainly do this. 
It turns us from a place of doubt to a place of wonder and trust in God's ability. You see, because the king has come, wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done in your life, you are not too far from God's grace. You are not too far from his grace. Today, while you may laugh at yourself and say, God could never do anything with me. He doesn't know where I've been, oh friend, he does. He knows exactly where you've been and he knows exactly how he can transform you. Today you're here hearing that there is a news of a king who has come for you to turn you from your sin and yourself to him, to transform you from the inside out. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died on the cross so that anyone who would put their faith in him would be saved. And that means you. The king has come. He has come to root out all the sinful desires of our hearts and replace them with the desires that prioritize him above all else. You see, you may be here saying, God could never change me from the anger that I feel, the anger that I express. God could never take away those feelings or those desires of lust or doubt or fear. I love this quote from Sam Storms that reminds us of something completely different. Whatever God requires from us, he provides to us. He will never, he, we will never lack for the power or strength to obey any of God's commands. Why? Because God himself has promised to work and to will and to equip us so that we will have the spiritual energy to do what he requires. Is anything too wonderful for the Lord today? The king has come. Therefore, we can walk forward in faith even when we cannot see the whole picture. In your life, you see relational strife. You see ongoing suffering. You see spiritual roadblocks and you think this road just seems too hard. The trials, they seem too many. I need the whole picture, God. Like Abraham and Sarah, we see his promise, but we want the product. God says, is anything too wonderful for me? Trust me to accomplish my purpose in you. Because the king has come, therefore we are called to pursue a life directed by the spirit. He has purchased this life for you, believer, so that when people see you, when people hear your story, they will laugh in amazement at the wonderful work of God in you. And you will be able to sing with the multitudes that have gone before us. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. So this season, rather than walking through life discouraged, defeated at the magnitude of our impossible circumstances, we remember that the God who was is the God who is, and the God who is is doing his greatest works on the platform of your impossibilities today. His aim is to change you, which is more wonderful and more awesome than the change of any of the circumstances in your life. That's his aim today, and he's inviting you to trust him in that. We're gonna stand, we're gonna pray, and we're gonna sing a song of declaration reminding ourselves that we can continue to walk forward in the same faith because we have the same God, would you pray with me today? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the privilege to worship 
you. We thank you that you've brought us into this relationship with you. We pray that this morning, as we've heard your word, you will challenge us not to settle, not to pursue sinful directions, not to function towards you in sarcasm, but to trust you in your supernatural power in our lives and to walk forward in faith. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is our hope for you today. If you would like to connect with us, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.